0: Let's get on to the lesson this morning. We've been talking about thin places. And if, if you're new, if you're just visiting the day, thin places where the physical and the spiritual tend to touch. And it can be at a holy place or a holy moment in your life. And we've looked at several of these, and we've got several more to look at. We will take a brief break for Palm Sunday and Easter, and then come back to thin places for some time. Today, we're going to take a look at a different kind of thin place than we normally think about. I often remind God, as if he needed reminding, but I do anyway, when I pray, please remember, it's hard down here. It's really hard. Because it is. When I was a teenager, a wise man told me to be kind to every person I meet. He said, every person you meet is having a hard day. At the time, I thought that was a bit of hyperbole. I now believe it. Everybody we meet, has their struggles. Everybody they meet has had some issues that particular day. It was an important lesson to learn, and I'm still learning it. I, I'm not a big fan of commercials, but I love the new Geico one where they're, uh, Washington's crossing the Delaware Turnpike in a boat, <laughs> and people are beeping at him, and he's going, we've all got places to be. We've all, and I, I, I tend to remember that, Sometimes I'll be in traffic, a bit of a shock here, sometimes Nashville traffic can get difficult. And I'm, I'm in the traffic thinking, why is there so much traffic while I'm contributing to the problem by being in the traffic? life gets difficult, and sometimes there's not much we can do about it. And when we think of thin places, we normally think of what people call a mountaintop experience, where you feel close to God, and you're beaming, and you're happy. And we would all love it if we could live in a mountaintop experience. But mountains do not exist unless there are also valleys. I drove past a development yesterday that was called glen ridge and I thought make up your mind it's either a glen or it's a ridge I'm not really sure what you're playing at here that'd be kind of like watery desert and I'm I'm not sure what you're going for we have valleys because we have mountains remember we talked about Elijah last week he had a fantastic mountaintop experience the next time you see him hiding in a cave he's fallen off of it a bit We can fall into depression, fear, despair right after a fantastic mountaintop experience. And Sometimes when you're in the wilderness or in the valley, and I will use those terms interchangeably today, you feel like you're never going to get out and you feel like you're further from God than you've ever been in your life. We don't think of our time down there as a thin place. We don't like to think that a valley or a wilderness is where we might be closer to God than on a mountaintop. You know, and that, like I said, God doesn't need my reminder. He knows it's hard. He sent his son down here. He knows it's hard here. And this is why the Bible contains more than a few laws, a bunch of happy promises, and a few parables. Every so often, I'll run across one of these little books and it'll say all the promises in the Bible. Now, if you've got one of those and you take comfort from it, you'd go right ahead. But let me explain something. Pulling the promises out of their context, you lose a lot about what those promises are. Most of those promises weren't made to you. They were made to Joshua, Joshua 1.9. They were made to Jeremiah and the people that were being led off into captivity. They were made to other people. We can't just appropriate them and then get mad at God when he doesn't do for us what he never promised he would. Also, remember that all those promises... Also contain, in this life you will have trouble. There will be trouble. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. We even start with wilderness stories in the Bible. No, not Genesis. Job. Job is an older book than Genesis. True, Genesis is talking about an older experience and creation. But the oldest book we really have is the book of Job. It's been out there for a very long time. There are quite a few versions of this particular kind of story in ancient literature. It goes this way. A good man suddenly experiences a lot of bad things in their life. He has somehow gotten sideways with the gods. So his community rallies, and between them, they discuss and sort out where he's gone wrong so that he can make amends And get back in with the gods and then in return usually at the end of these stories he is blessed quite a bit but the book of job is different it tells the story in a different way it is so old it doesn't mention jerusalem the patriarchs adam abraham and isaac and jacob it doesn't mention the law it doesn't mention synagogues or temples and it has the oldest most complex hebrew in scripture therefore If you've read Job and it was just confusing and not much to you, read it three or four different versions. And read it fast. Don't ponder. Don't sit and ponder. Read it fast. Let the emotions of the book, rather than the details, hit you. We're church people, so we know the story. So I'll just do this very briefly. Here is the throne room of God. Satan is doing his job. The word Satan means accuser, slanderer, or in the old Persian, where it comes from, it's really like a spy that's also a prosecuting attorney going about the land trying to find people and find fault with them. He does not believe that mankind is worth God's effort. He believes that we're only good and we'll only love God if God keeps the blessings pouring out at a good pace, if God slows those blessings or God forbid, stops those blessings. Satan believes that you and I will quit loving, quit serving our God, and we will curse God rather than praise him. So God allows Satan to move on Job. God allows him, all right? I want to show you how this works. At first, Satan's not allowed to touch Job's person, but he destroys everything else in his life. He goes from top of the heap to literally, within, it seems, within days, he's sitting in a pile of ashes, scraping at sores with broken pottery, while his wife leans over him saying, "Cursed God and die. He can't fall any lower or any faster. We can discuss some of the weightier issues um, raised by this wager and its aftermath at a different time. Right now, I want you to notice, though, a couple of things. First... For some reason, this is the first story God wanted us to know. Even before, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, this is the first story that he gave mankind for us to understand our relationship with him. I think we need to remember this. In fact, the book of Job probably predates Moses by three to four hundred years. God wanted us to understand something about being in the wilderness. The wilderness, perhaps the reason is, the wilderness is such a universal experience. I don't know why we don't realize that. When we're in the wilderness, we always feel alone, don't we? Isolated. We're the only one. We get a diagnosis from the doctor, and it may be cancer or or, uh, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or MS, and one of the first things we wonder is, why me? without realizing everybody, everybody's going to get bad news. Everybody takes this path. Like the old song said, you're going to walk a lonesome valley, but I would disagree with the song when it says you got to walk it by yourself. That's the lesson we need to learn in Job. While we're in the wilderness, we can feel alone, but we are not. Absence from blessings and joy, listen carefully, is not the same as absence from God. Absence from doing well, absence from comfort, is not the same as absence from God. Look at these passages. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? And by the way, he's not saying he wants to go. He's saying, isn't it amazing? You're always with me. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God is not one who would leave us when we slide from the mountain into the valley. In fact, sometimes we meet him more in the valley than we do on the mountaintop. Sometimes we need the valley for the thin place to meet our God. Nobody likes that, by the way, but we, most of us understand that that's true. In, in a pagan world, the gods showed their favor to you by the blessings they bestowed upon you. Our God shows his favor toward us by being with you and not abandoning you regardless of where you are or what's happening around you. Viktor Frankl, who was in the prison camps, the Nazi prison camps, and watched so many die, relates a story of watching a young boy being hung because he was caught stealing just a mouthful of bread. He was so hungry. I believe the boy was 11 or 12 years old. And the Nazis made them all line up as they hung him Let him die slowly in front of them. And one man turned to a rabbi who was in the prison and said, where is your God now? And the rabbi said, he is up there on a rope with him. Our God is different than the pagan gods. He does not promise us we will always be on the wings of the dawn. What he promises is I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that, I would submit, although it's not always the happiest thing to hear, is the greatest promise. God allows Job in this book to take all of the usual human methods of dealing with suddenly finding yourself in the wilderness. We all do this. He's given time to mourn. He's given time with his community. He's given time to rationalize and play around in the fields of philosophy and theology. But he gets nowhere. Perhaps we should also admit that we cannot reason our pain away. How many times have I spoken words at a graveside that I knew were true, but I also knew were not comforting anybody there? We were saying our words because we say our words. We were standing there because we stand there. But that wasn't going to fix anything. Sometimes preachers feel completely useless and helpless at these times. But we stand there anyway knowing God's there, so we'll stand there too. We'll speak because God is there. Sometimes people will say, but I didn't feel him there. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Facts trump feelings. God said he was there. You don't have to feel him for him to be there. Words and ceremonies are good and they have their purpose, but we need God. And so in Job, I would say when it got darkest, but let's be very fair, it had been dark for a long time by this stretch. Then God shows up, right when Job and his community have hit an impasse. And God does not show up with a fruit basket, saying, ta-da, it's all right now, Job. No. He shows up to remind Job of a hard lesson. God is God even in the valleys, even in the wilderness. There were some armies in the Old Testament that made this mistake. They said, you know, we fought the Israelites on a mountaintop. So their God must be a God of the mountains. Let's fight them in the valleys. And then they got whipped again. They found out God's a God of the valley as well. When I was a boy, I was wondering, is there another reason that story's in Scripture? I think it is. When we slide into the valley, he is still there. My father, i visited my father and mother, those of you that don't know, my father's between stage one, stage two, uh, Alzheimer's, and it's not diagnosed, but... I'm a neuroscience guy. He's got Parkinson's uh, as, as well, and he has hallucinations. He loses where and who he is. My mom said he'd had a very hard morning that morning, insisting that they were in a different place at a different time and different people were in the room. But I visited with him for a while, and as I leave, I always say the prayer over them, but I also take them lunch, I take them something special. So I did this time. I don't take them healthy food because people, they're not going to get healthy. I take them food they want. Uh, I had somebody actually challenge me this week because my father said he craved peanut butter fudge, so I took him some. I I did what they did in the old days. I ordered it online and I got it and I took it to him. And people said, is he diabetic? Yeah. Why would you take him fudge? Because if I took him vitamins, he's not going to be better. Let him have some fudge. So, let him have some fudge. People, Everybody dies, so study all diseases, pick the one you want to die from, eat accordingly. (laughs) I do not want to be in a hospital one of these days dying on nothing in particular. I want the doctors to be able to spot what's wrong from the parking lot. My dad's in a real valley right now, breaks my heart. My dad never had a hobby. Not really. He didn't play games. He, you know, he's not, I never played catch with him. He, he didn't bring out a board game. That's not who my dad was. It was always work. And now he's trapped in his body in a chair. And yet when I brought the food in, I went over to say the prayer and he prayed. And he was 100% present during the prayer. Talking to his Lord of heaven and earth. Because he knew even now God's in the chair, too. He's there now. That was a gift to remind me. God is not changed by the wilderness. God is not afraid of the wilderness. He is still God. He is still good. He is not absent. By all accounts, Job was a great man before the wilderness. God calls for him to remain a man of worship and faith in the dark. We're to be purified by the wilderness. We are to be hardened. We are to be strengthened. But we are not to be changed to the point where we lose sight of our God. I've had um, many of the people around me before have used the expression, scars are tattoos with better stories. My expression is, Stars are a sign that something tried to kill you and didn't. God wants you to sometimes rejoice in your scars. Remember, Paul did. He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Well, by that time, he'd been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned. He'd been, I imagine he did. How'd you get that one, Jesus? That's a pretty cool story, actually. He probably used that as an opener. And then we move into the New Testament. Guess what we find? A wilderness story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention it. Mark just mentions it. Matthew and Luke give us details. John tells us. He, he may be referring to it. He doesn't give us the story, but he may be referring to it when he says that Jesus had met the prince of this world, but that he had no power over Jesus. Hebrews mentions this story too. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, Did you notice in our time of need? It's assumed you will have them. It's assumed the darkness will come. Take careful note of when the temptation in the wilderness hit Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3 verses 16 through 4, 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, what's that? A mountaintop experience, right? God shows up. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. How could things get better than this? Well, the answer is they're not going to. He went out of the water. That moment heaven was opened, he saw the spirit of God descending on him and alighting on him. (coughs) There we go. And a voice, Tennessee's trying to kill me. It's all right. (coughs) I'm against the death penalty, except for whoever developed Bradford Pears and I'd like to witness that one. Uh, A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When you go into the wilderness, you might not be far from God. I know it feels that way. You might be following him when he leads you down. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would also add, he would have been weakened. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I guess he sounded Scottish. I hadn't thought of that before. (laughs) Should have made him English, um, playing to type. The wilderness where Jesus was, the devil comes for him, but not until he's softened up. Sometimes you have to be softened up by the events around us, by our own weaknesses or illnesses. The wilderness will soften you up. And that's when Satan comes. Some of those attacks are disguised as gifts and blessings. Look at the version in Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, the devil quotes scripture, that they will, not, they will lift you up in your hands that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him. Look at that last line until an opportune time. What is the opportune time in our lives? There are many, are there not? The passages in our lives are, they're they're choice times, they're crossroads, turning to God, turning away from God. They are options. The devil used the weapons that he's always used, and he uses against us. Hedonism, materialism, and egoism. Real quick, hedonism is a philosophy that If it feels good, do it. You've got appetites. Therefore, if you have an appetite, it's legitimate to feed that appetite. You've heard people before, you know, it doesn't matter what you eat, doesn't matter what you drink, whatever you're driven toward, and we play with that. But what about people who say, God gave me this great sex drive. You can't blame me for, hang on, is life just about appetites? Is that all it is? The devil loves it when you think that way. You are hungry? Here's more than enough for you. You've noticed in America now, they're putting calorie counts beside the food. Isn't that awful? We went to a movie yesterday and I looked up and saw we weren't ordering food and I was really glad. I looked up and ordered and I was going, oh, you could eat that and that's your calories for the week, that is. Or you could take that bucket, I guess, and feed Thailand. It, it's a lot. They even say free refills. And I'm thinking, who, who? I, I want to just stand in the lobby and watch them. And, you know, because they could explode and you don't see things like that a lot. <laughs> it's an opportunity. It's a free show. Anyway, or you, you, you're, you've got a sex drive and the devil will say, have I got a guy for you? Have I got a girl for you? Have I got a gender undecided for you? Whatever it is, he, he will show up. When you're weak and say, have I got something for you? Jesus' response? No. We need a life greater than that of chasing appetites. How about angry? You got, a, you got temper as well? That's a drive. Give them a piece of your mind. People, most of us don't have a piece to spare. Let's keep it. Maybe it'll become useful one day. Or give them the back of your hand. No, we don't need to do that. We don't need to be angry. Some people get mad at me because I don't get mad at other things. I'm supposed to be mad at what they're mad at. I'm going, no, I'm out. Don't need to. Because Jesus said you don't have to. If you chase your appetites, where are you going to end up? They always destroy you. But if eternal life is what you want and you have the blessing of God, why do you need what the world has to offer? The devil then goes for materialism. That's a major temptation of our day, but to be fair, it's always been a universal temptation. But Jesus never tries to find his meaning in the accumulation of stuff. In fact, he even says, I don't have anything. And yet, he was close to God. The devil then goes for ego. Wouldn't it be great if if the whole world saw how wonderful and powerful and special you are to God? All you gotta do is do this seems to be no harm but jesus says don't push god and put him to the test you've heard people even say the end justifies the means jesus says no don't walk a path if it's not one jesus would walk because you don't want to walk those paths alone go where jesus goes stick with him because he's sticking with you jesus's way of responding by the way have you noticed always just quoted scripture. Let me give you some physics real quick. You cannot pour water out of a bucket that water was not poured into. How's that? I know that's really deep, but work with it. I won't give you a formula. The point of this is, is this. There will come a time where you need to have the scripture in you, and you will not be able to access it by reading. Perhaps you've had a stroke. You're not going to be able to access it by being with your community. Perhaps you're isolated in a hospital ward. It's going to need to be in you. You're going to need to have it there. Perhaps the devil's in your face and quickly you've got to get a response. Don't argue with the devil. Even Michael wouldn't do that. But you're allowed to use scripture. Get it in you so that it will be there when the time of the wilderness comes. We hate the wilderness. We absolutely hate being in one. And yet, sometimes that is the best place for God to find us. Because only there have the noises of the world been turned down so much that we can at last hear his voice as Elijah did, and we talked about last week, the still small voice of God. When our eyes are no longer transfixed by the glitter of the world sometimes we can see god for those of you in a wilderness today and i know any room this big we've got dozens in a wilderness i cannot offer you soft words of healing that would be dishonest if i were to say that i could what i can do is tell you that god has promised you will not be alone even for a second in that wilderness no matter how you feel that's a fact. Friends might not get it. Your church friends might even judge you for being in a wilderness. But God will not leave you. That's the deal. He's made those who believe in him. In Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6, keep your lives free from the love of money, materialism. Be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Would you hold that verse up there, please? Would you stand with me? We're going to say this verse together, and then we are going to read the 23rd Psalm, and I've asked them to put it in the New King James Version, because that way, no matter what version you learned, you'll know a bit of it. How's that? Would you say with me, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen.